cricket is coming and it's time for a bat. We're going sub some bodies and we'll have a good laugh. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Get It Whacked, the Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, we intend to go behind the scenes of Max CC and meet some of the players and characters at the club, find out some things about them you never knew or most likely never wanted to know, and above all, hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Macclesfield Cricket Club is grateful for the continued support of our various sponsors. Today's featured sponsor is Premier Estates. With offices in Cheshire and London, Premier Estates operates on a nationwide basis. They have established a large and diverse management portfolio totaling over 540 developments containing in excess of 36,000 properties throughout England and Wales. Their varied portfolio includes city centre mixed-use landmark developments incorporating leisure, retail and commercial elements, a vast range of apartments from entry-level through to high-spec luxury retirement developments, contemporary living, historic mill and country house conversions, including the UK's largest group of Grade 1 listed buildings, affordable housing, a huge array of landscape and public open space schemes. Premier Estates has a wealth of experience in property management and has the knowledge required to manage every type of development. Without further ado, I would like to introduce today's guest. This man is yet another member of the Moores family cricketing dynasty. A true modern-day cricketer, he represents Nottinghamshire in all three formats of the game, together with various T20 franchises around the world. Capable of playing 360 degrees around the ground as a batsman, his uncle Tony almost certainly still has him in his back pocket when it comes to garden cricket. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tom Moores. Tom, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, mate, I'm really, really good. Very uh, glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to come and talk to us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Hopefully you didn't uh, object to that moderate barb about Tony getting you out. No, it's very fair. He's an experienced man, Uncle Tony. <laughs> he certainly is. Uh, I have the great privilege and pleasure of uh, captaining him on a Saturday and, and you'll not be surprised to know he still takes bags of wickets for fun. Oh yeah, exactly. He'd be up there with one of the worst to face, I reckon. On on some some bit of nip in the pitch, I can see my piece. It'd be a handful. So yeah, can uh, I can imagine, mate? I I honestly almost feel a bit guilty about giving him the ball on some pitches. When you turn up and you see a, a filthy green seamer in April, and you've got someone with uh, a few years of experience, it's it's almost like cheating. But uh, yeah. anyway, we're not here to talk too much about the legend that is Tony Moores. We're here to talk about you. And my first question, mate, is how, how's life been through the sort of pandemic? We're obviously back in another lockdown. Uh, yeah, how, how has the last year been for you? Yeah, it's been interesting, actually. I think like, you know, for us all, it's, uh, it's brought its challenges. But actually, it's uh, uh, for me personally, it's probably made me look at life I think for all of us I think it's probably made me look at life cricket other things outside of cricket a little bit differently which is which is good so I think yeah it's been a different experience but you know thankfully we've managed to get some cricket in obviously with the summer um, which was nice and um, obviously different without fans being there and, and that was a shame but you know the safety of everyone was obviously the most important thing so I think um, yeah it's been an interesting experience but something I've actually quite in you know, outside of all the all the stuff that's going on, you know, as a as a personal reflection and stuff, and to look at life and stuff a little bit differently, it's been it's been quite 
refreshing in a way. Oh, really interesting to hear that. And and certainly, you know, I don't I don't think you'd be alone in saying that. I think quite a few people, myself included, for for different reasons to you. But you know, obviously, whilst there's been a lot of really awful stuff happening in the world, I think um, you know is a an opportunity to uh, you know reflect and look at things through different glasses if you like and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's good to hear that you kind of have, have found um, some positivity out of you know a pretty negative world we're all in yeah. but um, yeah moving on from that as I mentioned in your introduction mate you play around the world and I just thought it'd be great for those that don't know for you to tell us uh, which teams you play for at the moment yeah so I've played obviously main team being Knots and that's obviously home for me so that'd be my base and then being fortunate enough obviously to experience some franchise cricket so played for various of a few, you know, different teams, Bang the Tigers being one and, and still obviously about to go out there and play for them in the T10 League up and up and coming in Abu Dhabi. Played for Japanese Stallions as well, which has just gone, which was a great experience in Sri Lanka. So that was obviously experience subcontinent conditions, which was really cool. And then, yeah, just as, as the years have sort of, you know, the last couple of years, again, played in a, another T10 team, Punjabi Legends, had an experience in the PSL for Multan Sultan, which was um, a really cool experience as well. So, yeah. Experienced a few different, few different sides outside of knots, and and got a few to look forward to as well. Obviously, with the hundred coming up, Trent Rockets, that'll be a another really cool experience, which I'm looking forward to. So, yeah, plenty, plenty of experience to draw back on, which has been great, and and plenty to look forward to. Hopefully, cool. Well, there's uh, a few teams and few different bits of cricket we're, we're going to come back to uh, that you've just mentioned there for now I think we're going to take it right the way back to the beginning and I'm going to ask you uh, what your earliest cricketing memories are good question um, ever since I can remember really I've, I've always had a, a cricket bat in my hand or some sort of miniature signature bat probably at the, at the very early stages and yeah just always whenever I could it was it was just sport 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 whether I was kicking a football trying to find somebody to throw me an underarm an underarm tennis ball to bat in a garden in a corridor in a lounge wherever it was probably breaking vases and windows and stuff all around different houses so uh, they're probably my earliest memories and then obviously that that then sort of just carried on kicking on um, as I got older going down to Hove and watching Sussex play when when dad was coached down there was um she got really fond memories down there and and getting in the indoor school, probably not really watching much of the actual play, but facing a thousand balls in the indoor school with any any lads or or girls, any anybody I could find really, just to anyone who fancied a game of one arm one bounce, I was up for it. So I think that's probably my earliest memory. Obviously, you know, we we talked a little bit about Uncle Tone there. Have you got any sort of uh, key or fond memories of of perhaps uh, some serious games of Moore's extended family cricket? Um, yeah, well, I think you know, there's obviously a few of us you know, at, at Matt Cricket Club. And I think I was lucky enough, obviously, when I was, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but in my sort of early ages to play play for Matt, which obviously was a something that I had to tick off. And hopefully I've, somewhere down the line, I'll be able to make an appearance for them again. But yeah, that was um, that was a really cool time. Going down to Matt Cricket Club, you know, it's something that runs in the family and, and just going down there. And again, the same on the outfield, trying to get any anybody, any of the family members, any teammates to to throw balls to me and then obviously playing for them was a was a cool experience and sharing the pitch with other other family members was a really was a really nice moment and obviously something that as a young player you know I was I was playing with probably my first experience of of men's cricket I think so it was actually a nice introduction to that because as as you can imagine obviously when you're coming through the ranks and stuff like that playing men's cricket's obviously the, the biggest jump you make as a as a teenager as a young player 
Um, it's sort of the first big jump you make. And I think to play in, alongside Uncle Tony, other family members, cousins, Andy, Chris, Mike, managed to get a game in with my dad somewhere, I think somewhere down the line. I think there's actually a, there's a funny story, which I think I was, I was playing, I must have been about... 14 it wasn't for Mac actually it was for uh, our local village team and you know playing with dad and it was the first time I played with him and I think I was I can't, I, we were maybe batting I think he, he might have been on the other team to be fair and um, it was a bit of a sort of dads and lads and he ended up a sky went up and he ended up shelling it <laughs> straight through his hands and as a young 13 year old I, I stormed off I was so embarrassed I was like oh how's he dropped that <laughs> and having no idea how hard actually the game is and that was as we all know it doesn't matter what what level you and you know we all I've been you know as I've gone through now I've dropped many of sitters but at the time being 13 just thinking yeah well you know dad's played the game he doesn't drop anything and one goes up and it goes straight through I was I was mortified but um yeah it was to the amusement of the other lads I think they found it pretty funny but yeah them them sort of early memories playing club cricket and playing with family and playing with you know other other guys around and, and sort of making that jump up was a really well I think it's a massive part in in me sort of developing as a player well that's some some great uh, memories and anecdote there which is always good to hear I have obviously done a, a little bit of digging with uh, a few of your family members and uh, I'm sad to say and maybe you're not I don't know I'm sad to say that that the records on our our, our Macclesfield play cricket don't have too many of your uh games or statistics so i can't run any numbers by you but i did manage to find one scorecard and there is quite an amusing story well there's a couple of amusing stories about this so you actually represented uh, macclesfield third team on the 16th of july 2011 so um I th- you must have been what sort of 13 14 something like that yeah and uh yeah y- you played a game for macclesfield 13 which max for the record subsequently won um, Macclesfield, uh, I'll give you some, give you some numbers because we all like that sort of stuff. Mac, uh, we're all out for 179 in 40 overs, and uh, then bowled out Saleforth team for 155 in 38 overs. Now that day, you you batted number three, and uh, you scored 33 runs. Do you remember this game at all? I do yeah, I vaguely remember re- remember playing. I remember obviously it was at the the, the, for those who obviously know Mac Cricket Club, it was on that the backfield. Um, so we weren't obviously on the first team wicket, which was as a kid it was a dream of mine, it's a dream of everyone's, isn't it, to get on that on that wicket. But I think um, yeah, I do remember going. I remember being nervous. I think because not only you know fairly early to men's cricket and you want to do well, but you know there's a, there's a different sort of a pressure a pressure I probably always put on myself. I think um, rightly or wrongly, where you well I guess everyone does in a way when you're playing with with family members especially you always want to everyone wants to do well and I think you want to do well for for your mates not only just your family as well so I think I probably put a bit too much pressure on myself at at that age but um it was all good fun and I remember yeah at the end of it just just loving every minute of it and thinking how cool it was to play and um what a great experience and and yeah I don't remember exactly how the innings went up it was probably something like legside, pretty legside Larry, I reckon, back, <laughs> back in those days. Still up now, so um, yeah, probably a lot of a lot of across the line shots and maybe got a few little reverse sweeps and sweeps or something in there. But I'm not sure I'll be was hitting too many sixes back then. At, you know, I'm pretty, I was a pretty small lad growing up. I am now, but I think yeah, then I was wasn't the biggest of blokes. So I think yeah, it would have been 
run hard, I reckon. Well, I, what I can tell you is uh, that you, you scored 33 with five fours, no sixes. Um, so let's just put those all down to uh, a few little reverse sweeps and maybe <laughs> maybe a, maybe a che- cheeky big motor cow. I don't know. But what I can tell you, because I'm reliably informed by your uh, your cousin, Michael Mitch Moores, you were, you were out LBW and he informs me that he actually triggered you that day. Um <laughs> And and he said, and I quote, um, <laughs> to 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 use the phrase of another one of our, our sort of club legends and uh, recent podcast guests, Mr. Jim Melrose. Mitch said, uh, "You were so out, you would have been out the next week as well." Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed, <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> no, uh, I obviously, I, I guess you don't remember it. But um, to, to your mind, do you think you've been given out by a family member? since no i think that that's that's that was the first and i think it's the only i think so it's a it's a pretty um yeah it's one that actually i'm fondly remembered yeah it's a good memory in my mind but i'm not sure it is actually it probably just reminds <laughs> me that the lbw the lbw problem started at a young age <laughs> well i mean it is uh to, to to you know get one back for you if i can tom what I can tell you is that Mitch opened the batting that day and was bowled for seven. So, uh, you know, oh, there you go. Last, At least I got uh, padded away. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, the the other slightly amusing story that I I do have to uh, question you about. Uh, one of our patrons at the club uh, and another uh, another Macclesfield legend, Dave Bostock, who uh, is a is a great friend of the podcast. Now he uh, he told me a little story that apparently uh, at this time you were batting with a bat that used to belong to Matt Pryor that he'd used in the uh, uh, well we probably shouldn't talk about it Stanford 2020 competition and apparently it was a black bat that you'd sanded down but you hadn't sanded it down very well can you, uh, <laughs> can you confirm or deny this I can confirm yeah it was that was my pride and joy that that was. Probably the best the best Christmas present I ever got, I think. I remember, um, obviously, growing up, Matt was an idol to me. And, you know, all the way through being at Hove and at Sussex, I used to watch Matt. He used to give me a lot of time as a kid and, and you know, throw me balls when he could after games. And, yeah, I have a lot of fond memories of that. So I think as a, as a kid growing up, obviously, to have one of his, you know, dad managed to get hold, he managed to give dad a bat to, that he could give to me after that Stanford T20. And, Obviously, they were all painted jet black. And, um, yeah, obviously, <laughs> I couldn't go walking out at 13 with a, with a jet black painted bat. So I had to get to, the, get to the, well, I think Dad probably did it and got to the garage and got the sandpaper out and did the best we could. But I think, yeah, it was, it was a pretty poor job on, on probably reflecting. But all I was bothered about was I just had this bat that was probably about the size of me. But <laughs> I literally just thought, well... If, I, every time I hit it, I just thought it's the best thing in the world. I just literally thought if I, all I have to do is hit this and it would go for four, which, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a great, and I think I tried to get every, every run out of that bat all the way through. I can't remember if, I think I'm, I'll have it somewhere lying around still now, but I, I remember using it literally until its last legs, it was falling to pieces by the end of it. But yeah, it was, uh, it was an unbelievable bat and I, 
I think I took it to bed a few times. It was that good. I was loving it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think at this juncture, uh, it's probably best that we remove ourselves from professional cricketers talking about sandpaper. So what I'll say is we'll be moving swiftly onwards, Tom. <laughs> now, uh, moving on for some great memories there and, and lovely to touch base about Macclesfield. Obviously, as you say, it's, it's a club that's synonymous with your family and uh, we're very proud to say that you've represented Macclesfield um, and obviously you are too. And uh, like you say, hopefully in the future, maybe we'll get you back for a game. Uh, although, don't know, uh, don't know how popular we'd be if we did that right now. But, uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> Not sure I'd get in the team, maybe. Well, I mean, strong team to get in that. <laughs> yeah, you've uh, you certainly got to get past your uncle Tony's bowling. But <laughs> yeah. uh, no, uh, joking aside, I thought it'd be great to talk about sort of um, your journey uh, towards professional cricket. Firstly, I believe I'm right in saying you went to school at Loughborough Grammar School and obviously played schoolboy cricket there. And I thought it'd be interesting to hear some of your sort of experiences along that journey. And indeed, uh, ask you at what point kind of in your cricketing journey was it that you really decided that you wanted to uh, try and play the game professionally? Yeah, so obviously going through the sort of age groups, playing for Leicestershire um, age groups when uh, we moved up to the Midlands. Um, and yeah, just fairly, you know, playing all sports, playing football, playing rugby, um, being at the grammar school was a big rugby school. So in the winters, it was full of rugby and and loved that and went through a phase of you know just enjoying all sports really and then I guess probably around the age of 15 um, I got selected for the Bunbury Festival which obviously a very prestigious festival for young young people to get involved in and, and obviously really want to it's sort of the first I guess it's the first stage to really showcase um, any sort of potential maybe um, in front of you know influential people and big players and stuff like that so and get yourself really on the map up I guess you could put you know and recognize so um was lucky enough to go and, and get selected for that and ended up doing quite well there and, and really enjoying it and again not really sort of I wouldn't say I had too much on my radar at that point but always you know for me it was always sport I just if it wasn't if I wasn't sort of forced to do schoolwork or anything like that and and you know, obviously, get my head down at school. It was it was any chance I could play sport or do something like that or play cricket. It was you know I'd jump at the opportunity to. So yeah, so obviously went to Bunbury and then did quite well and they selected a, a sort of England young age group squad an EDP I think it was called at the time from that festival and was fortunate enough to get in into that and I think that's where really the first sort of steps um, you know sort of had to make some some decisions around whether, you know, playing other contact sports and stuff, um, you know, was, was the sensible idea and maybe getting injured playing rugby. And obviously, as you're getting older towards 16, 17, it gets a bit more, you know, the chance of injury get a bit more. Obviously, lads are getting bigger and, and sort of gets a bit more physical. So I think that's where it really, I guess, you know, I started to really focus on cricket. Um, we had camps and tours involved in time out of school um, to go on on times like that. Um, with the with the England sort of setup, which was a great experience, and it was the first sort of taster that we all got as a professional environment. Really, they they managed to sort of at, at the age of sixteen and seventeen, you get thrown into what would be a pro, like a pro environment, um, but at such a young age, you sort of getting that early exposure on how you should be training, the sort of levels of pressure that you're going to be dealing with, um, time away. I guess you got used to that a bit early, so you, you know managing your time you know, having to manage schoolwork and keep up to date with that, but then also 
prioritising the right thing at the right time and cricket and stuff. So I guess around that age, it started to get a bit more serious. And that's when I really thought this is what I want to do. And um, I loved every minute of it. I loved being around. I loved trying to impress. I loved trying to move my game forward and just always striving to be the best and the best version of myself and be better every day. And it was something that that programme actually did really well. It pushed you in all aspects and introduced a bit more serious sort of fitness programs into your um into your sort of game and teach taught you about you know where gym and stuff like that can help your game and injury prevention and physical aspects of the game and stuff like that so that's where I guess it's sort of that sort of 16 17 market it started to get a bit more for me something that I really wanted to do and, and pursue that's uh, really interesting to hear uh, to hear you say obviously being exposed to that kind of professional environment um, through the EDP and things like that good good that you lead us on to this question because in a previous episode uh, with Jordan Clark who uh, is a, a bit older than you he obviously mentioned uh, at the time you know when he was sort of forging his way and, and trying to make his mark into the professional game um, and getting signed he, he got a pretty bad injury and, and sort of came back and did all the rehabilitation and I asked him about uh, whether you know he had any sort of sports psychologist and uh, people like that around to work with and I, I suppose I'd ask you the same question um, mentioning the fact that you're exposed to this sort of professional environment where you're taking your training and your fitness and all sort of facets of your game seriously uh, were, were you exposed to kind of uh, you know the mental side of the game and and talking about dealing with the pressure as you know as, as, as a young man yeah definitely we, you know we had um, we sort of had these I guess you could call them like, I guess you could call them like a seminar it wasn't really it was more of a bit more relaxed than that but we had you know, experiences where uh, international, current international players at the time would come in and, and speak to us and almost give us their experiences and they'd, they'd run through their sort of, you know, you know their, them coming through the ranks and where they started and how it develops and stuff and gave us a really good insight as to what to expect to come and almost how to get there, how to um, stay in the moment and, you know, not to think too far ahead and all this sort of stuff. And we were lucky as well at, at you know, through those England sort of camps and setups that they had sports psychologists there. We did a lot of uh, sort of player, they called it player profiling, where we, we sat through a lot of pressure tests and answered a lot of questions and different scenarios. And you experience through all this sort of high tech, um, you know, advanced technology at the stage and, you know, exposure to them to this really good sports psychologist who could really sort of delve into what you're like and as your as a person, what makes you tick, your character, you know, your potential risk as a as a player, as a as a person. And it's sort of they sort of um these player profiles almost split up uh, your character into different parts of sort of colour systems and stuff like that and potential areas that could could let you down, maybe. Um, you know, if somebody's quite hot headed or they don't deal with failure very well, then you, you sort of then these sort of things flag up in, in this player profiling. So it's always good to be aware of of your weaknesses um, but then it also highlighted a lot of your strengths as well and stuff that you can really use to your advantage and what you do really well and you know an example would be if you're a they call it like a cool blue if you're really cool and calm under under pressure it's a really good trait to have obviously and you want to sort of harness that and hold on to that moving forward into into as far as you can get in the game at that stage because ultimately everyone wants to become an international player a, a professional player but at that stage, you know, you had guys who hadn't signed contracts. They were on academies, but um, everyone was striving to sort of get that opportunity and, and move up the ranks. So I think 
obviously at an early age had that exposure, which was great. And then moving forward, obviously to now, um, you know, sports psychologists now are, are huge in the game and, and vital in, you know, the different people, very personal, individual sort of, you know, it, people using sports psychologists individually and differently, but everybody, you know, they, they play a massive part in, in dealing with the challenges the game brings and also picking out your strengths that you do have. That's a, a really great insight into, you know, developing as a young player and then obviously taking that into, you know, the now and the professional game. Um, and, and fantastic to hear. So thanks for that, Tom. Um, I just want to touch on something you kind of you hit on a little bit there. Obviously, you know, you mentioned about, uh, you know, lads kind of in the academy systems and, and striving towards their, their sort of first contract. Um, I think I'm right in saying uh, you, you gained your sort of first professional contract with Knotts in, in 2014. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and how did that come about, really? What was your journey to that professional contract? Did you did you play any sort of uh, minor counties cricket or second eleven cricket? No. So I sort of it came about by I was playing for Leicestershire Academy. We were sort of I was I was I was going and I was playing playing for Leicestershire, but I wasn't really getting the opportunity that I'd, I would have liked at that stage. And and I felt I could play a, a sort of higher level and felt that my game was at a place to be challenged and I wasn't quite getting that um, at Leicestershire at the time. So thankfully, I had contact from Paul Franks, who obviously is a close close friend of mine now and obviously a coach of mine now. So we work, work closely together. But back at back in the day, obviously, when, when it was all, obviously all coming about, he gave me the opportunity, interestingly enough, to play for not second team, but it was against Leicester. As I wasn't contracted to Leicester at the time, I was allowed to go and play that opportunity as it was a higher level and it was a good challenge for me and ended up getting 100 in that game in the not second team uh, against Leicestershire. And basically from there and then not offered me a contract pretty much there and then. Um, and basically said, if you want to play for us, you know, we'd more than happy to have you. And never really looked back really. That was, you know, the opportunity I needed and, and, and wanted. And it, it was you know, thankfully on the day it paid off and frankly gave me that opportunity in the second team, which was great. And it all just clicked. And and it was something that obviously not being a great, you know, big club, Trent Bridge, very appealing place to play. And yeah, from the moment really, from the, from the work go, just loved every minute of it. It was, a, it was a great fit for me. It was something, you know, the way they went about their business and sort of the, the youth set up there and coming through the, you know, the academy into the pro setup at Knotts was was a great transition and everything seemed to just to fit at the right time and it came you had to earn earn your stripes but you know if you if you got rewarded for doing well which I which I really liked and at the time it was a great really you know ticked all the boxes for me because it um it pressed all the right buttons in the way I go about uh, my business and you know if, if you can achieve x y and z and if you can perform then you knew there was something to be had at the end of that and, and strive towards which was which is a really nice sort of goal, really, you know, whereas I think, you know, sportsmen, if you don't have that or anybody, not just sportsmen, you know, we need those goals to um, to strive towards. And it was nice to know that if you performed for knots and, you, you you know, you put the runs on the board in the second team and you, for me, took my catches and performed well, you know, there'll be a contract waiting for you if, if you know, if this, it seemed right um, to be to be had. So you, the the carrot was there. It was just about can you go and deliver your skills to get that. And, and thankfully, obviously, I went to Knotts and, and did did well for them and never looked back. Really signed signed as a pro and and loved every minute since. So talking about sort of dangling the carrot there. Obviously, um, 
you know that that must have been a pretty pressurized environment to take yourself uh, away from Leicestershire Academy to go and represent you know not second team playing uh, the club that you know you had a link to obviously playing the academy without without being a contracted player um sort of two questions there firstly do you think uh, there was any sort of deliberate sense in in putting you under the pump shall we say uh, in a game like that um and and secondly uh, was there any stick flying around possibly not when you got to your 100 but uh, maybe when you're the infancy of your innings shall we say yeah definitely I think obviously it was a pretty bold move at the age I was I think I you know I wouldn't have been too old at the time and I think it was a it was a it was a bold move it was a bit of a statement I think um but it was something that I was prepared to do and I've sort of always been that way that you know I felt at that time it was the right thing to do and it was where I wanted to push my game and probably slightly impatient from my behalf I wasn't you know, prepared to wait around and and you know when I felt if if I could if I could push myself and stretch my opportunities, you know I I sort of jumped to that opportunity with, with a what would well what is a massive club, um to, to you know allow me to play for their second team. I thought it's an opportunity I can't turn down. So yeah, it was I guess a, a, a pretty brave move at the time and a bold move. And there was obviously quite a lot of pressure on that because you are playing against. Technically, at the time, it would be, would have been my home club. Leicester would have been, you know, the home club. I knew all the lads, and I think at the time, the lads in that second team, as I wasn't playing for Leicester's second team, um, were a bit sort of surprised to see me on the opposition side. So um, there was a little bit of both, of a uh, bit of stick flying around, and what's going on here, and then also a little bit of there, were, there was a little bit of why, why, why isn't he playing for Leicestershire? Which was obviously another sort of challenge to deal with. But I think. I put the, all these sort of, I guess, obstacles and challenges and like distractions down to, you know, they've they've set me in good stead as as I've gone on in my career because, you know, my what is a very infant career at the minute, but as I've gone on and faced different challenges so far, and I feel like I've I've had quite a few for a, for a quite a young player, you know, they sort of these little obstacles almost they they're teaching you all the time of what you're going to face in everyday life as a as a professional sportsman. And as you move up the ranks, they only get, you know, more different ways, but they only get bigger. So I think it was probably my first sort of bold sort of statement and jump, but something that paid off. And ultimately it was, you know, the best thing I've probably ever done as a as a young player, taking that move. And then, you know, now being obviously at Knotts and being here obviously for the ever since that moment, it was it, yeah, I couldn't have, you know, looking back at it, it was probably well, it was the best decision I made to to make that move. And thankfully on that day everything clicked and I ended up playing well and scoring a hundred and instantly that always helps with, you know, gelling with the team, you know, a new team and coaches instantly, you know, one of the tough battles sometimes is, you know, you sort of search, you want to show people what you can do. But thankfully on that day I didn't feel too much sort of pressure because the, the team I was playing for didn't really know me and the team I was playing against I felt you know I was seeking other opportunity um, outside of that so it was a bit of a for me it, I was just in my own bubble and thought I'm I'm just going to go and do me and and hope thankfully it paid off and I played well and then moved moved forward from there really. Thank you for your continued support of the podcast. Since the debut episode back in March we have amassed over 7,000 unique downloads and been recognised by the ECB with a national award for proactive leadership in the community, as featured recently on Sky Sports. The podcast continues to develop and grow, and I would like to take this opportunity to thank all of you, the listeners, 
for continuing to support and engage with the podcast. The podcast is self-funded and we could not continue to create content without the support of our Patreons. Thanks to our most recent Patreon, Rick Shenton. For anyone interested in supporting the podcast, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash get it whacked or you can click the link in the description of this podcast thank you now we're going to uh, turn our attention back to to knots for a second before we talk about some of your other franchise cricket and my first question really is uh you know coming a bit more up to current times in your career as i said in my introduction you you know you play all three formats uh, four knots um, and uh, what do you find the challenges of playing all three formats and indeed in a, in a more normal season, if I can say that in inverted commas, obviously switching between, uh, you know, different uh, different forms of cricket. What what do you find the challenges are in both facets of your game, you know, as, as a batsman and indeed a keeper? I think obviously there's a, it's a completely different game. The Red Bull, you know, the Red Bull game and the, and the White Bull game nowadays is, um, is so, you know, vastly different. Um, it's probably one of the biggest challenges for any player at the minute to to have a game that you know obviously sort of merges all, all three. I think the Red Bull and, and the you know the one day stuff, you know the fifty over stuff is there's a lot more you know transferable skills in you know that come across there. But I think with the T20 and obviously now we've got the T10 as well, it's a lot more power hitting and a lot of different techniques and. A completely different skill set required, I think, for to be successful. So I think ultimately basics will always remain the same, and there's certain fundamentals in batting and in keeping that you know will never leave the game. Which is, um, you know, obviously stands you in good stead, and and you've always got to look after them. But I think one of the biggest challenges is transfer transferring across the format is obviously being able to um, flick into those different modes and knowing what serves you well in the different formats for, to give you the best chance of success. And obviously we know in England, the ball swings and nips and, and moves off the, off the surface a lot. So there's certain aspects in your game that, you know, you have to play, you have to be able to play late in England. You, you can't have an ego against the, the red ball in England, otherwise you're just going to get hurt. And it's something, you know, a journey I've been on, I think, uh, and a lot of players have to go on and have been on just to finding out, you know, a consistent formula that, can work for all three formats and it's something that you know I don't think you ever you ever complete the journey I don't think you ever sort of fully conquer it but you can definitely obviously you're always trying to move and nudge each game up and make it the best version of yourself as much as you can and I think um, to me obviously I feel probably I've taken to the white ball game uh, more naturally in my early career and then um, obviously got huge aspirations as well and and uh, back myself and feel like I've shown glimpses and, and stuff to sort of kick on from in the Red Bull game to really sort of put a marker down for that and and keep moving that forward. So it's a, it's a, it's it's a it's obviously it's challenges, but as a player, I look at it in a in a in a fun in a fun challenge. You know, I've always looked at cricket in a way. Um, I know you know my my dad talks about and he's always put it to me since a young age. You know, sports. No, yeah, you know, I'm a big you know, love playing PlayStation, FIFA, Call of Duty and all of that. And, you know, playing cricket and, and stuff like that is no different to that. There's levels, obviously, to to play in the sport and you're only as good as a certain level you're on. And sometimes you're going to have to fail a few times at that level before you work out how to move on to the next one. So it's something I've really taken on and, and taken on that mentality. And 
uh, almost enjoying working hard and working it out and working my game through in all different formats is, is something I really sort of take on board and enjoy doing. Well, that's great to hear, Tom. And uh, we're going to move on to to talk about a, a bit of stat badgering here. Obviously, on the podcast, we all enjoy a bit of stat badgering. Are, are you much of a stat man or are you a bit more of a live in the moment? Uh, a bit more live in the moment, I think, yeah. But I, I mean, stats do definitely, you know, they, they help it certain times but um, I try to sort of stay in the moment as much as I can well you'll have to indulge me briefly um, because uh, we do like a bit of stat badgering on the podcast so uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a few bits of stats for you um, so first of all we'll just run over your, your sort of first class stats uh, to this point uh, currently you've played 39 matches uh, with a scoring 1372 runs uh, with 200s 250s and a top score of 106 um, and then from the wicketkeeping side, you have uh, 91 catches and two stumpings. And I thought it'd be interesting now just to talk about a couple of kind of uh, recent moments from games, uh, two in particular, as I say, that, uh, you know, you I know you're very proud of and uh, are kind of synonymous with you. Uh, one, especially very recently. Firstly, um, 100 that you got against Yorkshire uh, last season in, in the Bob Willis Trophy, um, which, of course, sort of the uh, the COVID kind of replacement for our, our four-day Red Bull competition in England. So during this game, Nottinghamshire were, as I say, playing Yorkshire. And uh, Yorkshire, I believe, batted first and were 264 all out. I think you got a, a cheeky catch somewhere in there unless i'm mistaken and then uh, nottinghamshire's first innings uh nottinghamshire were 355 all out with yourself batting number seven i believe that day and you scored 106 of 183 balls with 12 fours and three sixes i thought it'd be interesting just to hear about your feelings from the game i know you're very proud of that innings and and indeed quite a uh, a different innings, you might say, for Red Bull cricket, because you found yourself in, in a couple of different stages during the innings. So, do, do you want to tell us all about that? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, it's obviously any hundred in in first class cricket or any format of the cricket, you know, is is a is a proud moment for a player, and it's something that we know as batters at any format. You know, they don't come every day, unless you obviously Steve Smith or someone like that, or Brad <laughs> Coley. Um, you know, they don't. You know, the the, the sort of the hard, you know, it takes a lot of hard work and determination, and and getting through a lot of battles and different challenges in the day. So I think um, it was obviously, yeah, a proud moment for me. But um, yeah, I felt it was a, a pretty key one for me because it was a it was a nice sort of. I, I think in that innings, I put all the strengths of my games together in different different sort of times of the day um, and through the innings. So I think, you know, obviously. Um, when I came in at, at the start of the innings, we were in a little bit of a, I guess you could say the momentum wasn't with us. And that sort of needed to be wrestled back a little bit. And at the time, I decided to to try and sit in for a bit and soak a, soak a, a bit of pressure, soak a few balls up and just spend a bit of time at the crease, which probably goes against my natural instinct, but something, you know, I've had to like work on and something I'm still working on, you know, which is a, a key part to, to four and five day cricket to be able to do that so I think uh, you know that was a, a nice a moment for me and then almost earning that right to to sort of let loose as and when the you know the innings allowed it and sort of demanded it um, managed to sort of gradually go through the gears if you like all the way probably to to what was pretty near to my T20 style of batting so yeah it was a nice sort of moment for me to to be able to use all my strengths in in one innings and 
I guess, a template for me moving forward of something that I'd like to be able to to take that into, you know, next season and, and, and future future games and almost be able to call upon different skill sets at different times to put pressure on on opposition teams and if if required to to sort of sit in and, and sort of take a bit of time in the middle, you know, almost learn from that innings that, you know, that is, you know, you can do that. We look the best example I've probably we've all probably seen was Ben Stokes in that Ashes series being seven off eighty balls or whatever he was. But I guess when you watch the highlights, people remember the fours and sixes he hit and the, what a remarkable knock it was. But the hard work he had to put in to almost grant himself the opportunity to to play that innings um, just showed the quality of play. Obviously, he is and and took a lot of learning from from stuff like that because I think a naturally attacking player, there's room for for defence in there as well. So and then obviously to play that natural game and to really sort of put a dominant stamp on on an opposition attack is always nice to to sort of throw a few punches back, put a bit more pressure on the bowler, you know, wrestle that momentum back and and almost, you know, every batter strives for it, but get into that that flow state of where you feel you've got complete control of the game and you can play any shot you like and you've got you're confident and um you sort of, you know, you feel like you've you've got complete, you know, the game is dictated by how you want to move it and the speed you want to move it is is obviously the the ultimate goal. Very hard to get to, I think a lot of the time, but, you know, managed to, to get there for, for a period in that game, which was which was nice and, and learned a lot from that innings. One question I would have about that, um, kind of, uh, you know, hearing you talk about different stages of the innings and the, the game situations. Obviously, you batted at number seven that day and, and uh, looking at the scorecards um, and, you know, highlights and stuff, you, you must have had a reasonably useful partnership with uh, Samit Patel there. But uh, towards the, the sort of middle and I guess the latter stages of your innings, um, you would have found yourself batting with the tail. Um, and is that something, you know, moving forwards that y- you're comfortable with? I suppose my question is, do you sell- see yourself in that role as someone that's batting at six or seven and capable of, of sort of batting with the top order, digging in, as you say, when required, but also being able to to work through the gears and indeed bat with the tail? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, ultimately... Um hopefully I see myself um, batting as high up the order as I, as I possibly can, obviously factoring the fact that I'm a keeper as well. So that middle order, middle middle to lower order is probably somewhere I want to end up. That potentially five or six is where I want to um, obviously try and push my push my game towards. But at the moment, really enjoying batting um, seven for knots and batting with the, you know, the top order batters and, and the tail is is a is a skill which I've really enjoyed trying to work out and I guess there's you know, there's no correct way of going about it. Um it's always an interesting one when you bat with a tail and you know how how aggressive or non-aggressive do you go? And I think I'm very fortunate and we're very fortunate and not that we bat quite deep and we've got quite a, a long tail that, you know, have got very handy batters in it. So it's not something that you you know, we haven't got genu- many genuine number 11s who <laughs> you, you, you're sort of thinking, I've got to get all the runs here or we're not getting any, which is a privileged position for myself when I find myself in that position. Um, because I guess you can, you know, I remember a few times batting, you know, with Matt Carter in that innings, who I think might have been batting at 11 in that game. And I mean, he's a, he, he's capable of scoring a first-class 100. He's a, he's a very handy batter. Um, and he's, no, by all means, you know, I could 
if, if for whatever reason I found myself at the wrong end at that time, there was no part of me that wouldn't have trusted him to, to see through six balls off anybody and, and do what was required for the team, obviously, with me being in at the stage. So that's a privilege. I guess it makes the job a lot easier when you know that's the case. You don't make any rash decisions or, you know, try and scamper through running to the keeper or something to try and get down the other end because you don't trust the player at the other end. So, but yeah, I think, you know, ultimately batting with the tail is, is a is a, an interesting topic obviously it's can be a bit of chaos amongst you know some some nice you know so it's a bit of a highlights package I think we watch it we've I've been on the receiving end of it keeping and watching teams put a you know we'll see it all the time the last wicket put in on 50 60 70 is the most annoying thing to be to you know be a part of but it's I guess it's a skill that you know if a team can master it and the tail wags it's a uh, it's really, you know, beneficial to the team score because it can add a quick 60, 70, 80, sometimes obviously even more, go 100 plus runs onto your total, which is, you know, it's valuable runs to to add on for them last couple of wickets. So, Well, hopefully one day you will find the uh, the Jack Leach to, to your Ben Stokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very good. Now, uh, the other the other sort of uh, notable uh, highlight reel package, shall we say, or uh, moment that I wanted to talk about was, was from last season's uh, T20 Blast campaign. Uh, in the final, you uh, sort of produced your own superhero, Superman-esque uh, piece of wicket-keeping, uh, taking a pretty outrageous catch off the bowling of Dan Christian to uh, to remove Jamie Overton. Uh, for those that haven't seen it, I mean, I don't want this to sound the way it's going to sound, Tom, but uh, to my eyes, as inexperienced and, and knowledgeable as they are, you, you look like you get a little bit wrong-footed to the left um, and then have to, uh, to dive uh, to your right uh, up in the air uh, to, to, to take a nick. Um, kind of in the vein of, of Paul Collingwood at backward point, sort of leaping backwards and taking the ball behind his own head. Um, now, if I've just thrown you under the bus there, please correct me. But uh, do, do you, what, what were your memories of that of that incident? Yeah, that's spot on, I reckon. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, finals day, it was, you know, the pressure, pressure, there's always pressure throughout the whole game. And I think it was just one of those moments that luckily... You do the hard work. You train. I, I, I've always, as a as a kid, always enjoyed, you know, training those sort of catches and training the extremes. I remember we had a trampoline in the garden. I used to get my dad to throw me balls and take full length diving catches, and used to love it and and sort of try and replicate them. So to get one in a game is obviously what dreams are made of. Really, it's what you dream of at night as a keeper. You you dream of taking, you know, a flyer or something like that in a final. And um, yeah, you you couldn't have got it you know more accurate I reckon completely wrong footed um, and ended up throwing a hand down luckily it stuck I was hoping you weren't going to uh, take too much umbrage with me saying that but no, uh, I mean enough. you know perhaps you just went to the left to make the catch look more impressive I'm, I'm, there are plenty of people at our club that do that sort of thing mentioning no name Stephen Whittingham <laughs> um, no it's it, for those that haven't seen it I really I really encourage you to, to have a look it's a, it's a great catch and a great moment and um, you know Potentially a bit of a turning point in the game. Do you uh, do you remember what what Dan said to you when he got that catch for him? Don't, I can't remember exactly. I think I was a bit, you know, as as you are at the moment. You just sort of I'm just looking at my hand, thinking, "How's that got in?" <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think I was everything everyone said just went over my head. But I think in classic Dan fashion, it was it was probably just 
give you a big grab and probably not to he's one of them sort of guys you know until the until that last ball or till you cross the line you know the game's not over so it was it probably wasn't too uh you know too expansive or anything like that it was probably good catch mate right get the next one when it comes or something like that. <laughs> so probably um <laughs> but yeah he's uh no, he's a, he's a top competitor. So yeah, to do it, especially off his bowling and you know the, his captaining of our side and being able to play under him, it's uh, and the player he is. I mean, we can all see the player he is. It's uh, yeah, it was nice to to do that, and he's playing some top cricket at the moment, so it's good to see. Yeah, he's he's certainly having uh, a bit of an influence over in the Big Bash. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, he is. He's a uh, yeah, he's a jet. He's to have it. Well, we've been lucky enough, obviously, to have him at Knots for a, for a number of years now, and. Um, as a ball striker and, and you know somebody who plays aggressive cricket I've learned a you know a huge amount from him um, he spends a lot of time he, he was the one you know I played my debut uh, for knots under him um, in 2017 when Reedy stepped down from the from the T20 stuff and uh, we obviously went on to win that that year as well so um, yeah you know it's been a it's been a nice sort of pleasure to win two trophies with him for knots and I mean, yeah, his record speaks for himself. The way the way he goes about his business, and we can see it in the big bash at the moment. He's a game changer, and he's a dangerous player with bat and ball. So, yeah, he's he's an asset to any side. I think. Now you mentioned T20 cricket there, and uh, it's something that I do want to to move on and talk a little bit with you about. Um, but before that, you're going to have to indulge me again. A little bit of stat badgering, uh, Tom. Sorry about this. But uh, your T20 stats to date, you've played 68 matches with 60 innings. Uh, 14 not outs, scoring 1,175 runs, the highest score of 80 not outs, and a strike rate of 136. Is strike rate something that's particularly important to you when it comes to T20 cricket? Yeah, definitely. I think, obviously, in the, the sort of modern game, your strike rate has to be... Uh, you either guess you have to have one or the other, I think. You either have to to be really consistent and maybe a slightly lower strike rate than, than most, but you probably can only hold a few of them in a side and or your you know, your strike rate's right up there and you strike and you're not really wasting any balls and, you know, you don't have many dot balls bowled at you and you're you're a big boundary hitter. So um I think, you know, hopefully I've I've you know, some of the you look at some of the best players in the world, they they have both obviously and that's where everyone wants to try and get to if they can. You know, you have a high strike rate. And a good average, so I think, yeah, it's it's definitely a huge part of the game, and and something that you know every player um, and every team wants. You know, every every batter, you you don't want to be wasting many balls. How you go about that, I guess, is individual, but um, yeah, you, your strike rate wants to be wants to be up there if it can. Now, uh, as I say, moving on to some some talk about some T Twenty cricket. Uh, you were uh, fortunate to be involved recently with uh, a successful campaign with the Jaffna Stallions in the Lanka Premier League, as you said, in Sri Lanka. Um, firstly, I just wanted to ask you, kind of before we talk a little bit about that experience with the cricket, obviously that was played in a biosecure environment. Um, and I think it would be quite interesting to kind of hear what your experiences of that were. I mean, I know there's a, a lot of talk about that certainly for the for the international players who have kind of been living in these biosecure bubbles for you know what seems like a long time and, and I'm sure as 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 international sportsmen not least professional sportsmen playing in those kinds of environments for, for months on end will have its challenges mentally um, as well as physically but um, you know as I say it'd be, be really good to hear about your experiences of, of playing cricket in a biosecure environment yeah definitely obviously um, I haven't 
um, really found I I found it okay. I think uh, for the guys who have been in bubbles and sort of jumped from bubble to bubble and been in numerous bubbles, I can imagine it can take its toll. I think and have an effect and and be quite challenging. As I found, you know, in Sri Lanka, there's there's parts of it that are quite uh, are quite you know you've got a lot of time to to spend reflecting, a lot of time in hotel rooms, a lot of time doing the same things and, and almost mingling around the same sort of area. So I think uh, it definitely can get a bit repetitive at times. But I think, you know, we were lucky in Sri Lanka that we were actually on a golf course, which which always helped, uh, which we could access. So uh, myself, Duane Olivier, um, obviously, and Carl Abbott, the two South African, two South African players, we, uh, in the same team, we played a lot of golf amongst other lads as well. We, uh, we played a huge amount of golf and whenever we could and it just got us out it was something different um it's kept the competitive edge going it's a bit of you know it's it's a, it's a form of you know you're getting outside you're walking around so you know that was that was really cool and made life a lot easier in that bio bubble but um yeah i mean you are ultimately you are pretty confined to your hotel room the ground and then back to your you know your hotel and you're sort of eating in the same place as one eating zone, social distancing as and where possible. But obviously when you're in a bio bubble, we're getting we were getting tested, you know, numerous times. So yeah, it does bring its challenges. But again, like like I touched on before, um, I sort of found ways to take the positives out of it and almost use that time to reflect on other stuff and, and reflect on how you're going about your business and use time to to almost try and improve yourself using sports psychologists, you know, how can you, you know, use your time wisely and productively, listen to podcasts, did a bit of reading, um, just try to like sort of broaden my horizons of stuff I wouldn't usually do um, because you've got that spare time. So I think if you can, you know, manage your time well, I think, you know, I actually in, in some ways quite enjoyed those bio bubbles and that environment because it allowed you to do things that, you know, in a normal normal world that we live in, you probably wouldn't, well, I certainly wouldn't have, have found ta- time to do them sort of stuff. Now, I mentioned it was obviously a, a successful campaign with Jaffa Stallions. What are your, your sort of memories of, of the campaign? Obviously, you, you ran out winners at, at finals day. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the, the franchise itself was a was a great franchise to be a part of. Um, and to go and to go on and win that tournament in its, you know, in its first year in Sri Lanka was was an unbelievable effort. I think there's a lot of it was extra special. I think for for the franchise itself and and the country because um, if I'm right in saying that there was a lot of history. I think behind Jaffna and you know in, in during the civil war in Sri Lanka and, and and sort of Jaffna players playing in that franchise and doing well for the for the franchise. It was um it was a bit beyond cricket. I think which was a really nice part. You know a, a nice thing to be a part of and you could see in the sort of the players and the coaches' faces that it meant a lot more um to to the team as you know, as aside from just the cricket. It wasn't just a trophy. It meant a lot more than that. It was a sort of a whole country and nation thing, which was which was amazing to be a part of. And um yeah, obviously any trophy as well on top of that is is nice to nice to get involved in and experience another final. Yeah, you know, we had a we had a great bunch of lads, a great team we gelled really well and just shows that you know team cohesion and team chemistry is a huge part in successful successful teams um because i mean as you know the challenge with a lot of franchise cricket and a lot of franchises is you put a load of players together but all different backgrounds who aren't sort of linked together so 
yeah, that was uh, it was a cool experience. Now, before we head towards the end of the podcast and the uh, Ask the Pro segment, which I've not prepared you with any of the questions for, you can confirm, I do have a couple of uh, quick questions. And uh, the first one, Tom, we've, we've mentioned this individual a little bit already. You are, of course, lucky to belong to a family with uh, a rich tradition in cricket, uh, featuring, of course, some, some pretty famous cricketers. On that, what could you tell us about your Uncle Tony? Well, he's obviously, you know, the legend that is. I think he's, um, <laughs> he carries the name well. I think he he was probably, you know, he introduced the sport to, to a lot of us, I think. You know, he probably played it first. The experience he holds, I mean, I have nightmares probably about facing him. I never want to face <laughs> him again. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, no, I think the fact that he's still playing just shows th- how much the, the sport means to the family, I think, and how, you know, it's gone through so many generations in the family and, you know, it di- all different kinds of levels. I think, you know, obviously Uncle Tony's, he's the king of the pile, isn't he? He's the top of, <laughs> top of the tree. So he deserves a lot of credit for that, I think. And, and obviously he's, He's the ultimate, he's the GOAT, isn't he? He's the one, he's the main man. <laughs> he is the GOAT. Now, uh, no, in all seriousness, obviously, I'm slightly winding you up with that question. A more serious question, Tom. Kind of the idea of working with your dad is is probably something that fills most of us with dread, let alone him be the, the sort of head coach of your cricket team. What what can you tell us about the sort of relationship uh, you have professionally with uh, with your dad, Pete Moss? Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's... I guess it's it's a question I get asked quite a lot and have been asked quite a lot um, throughout my sort of career and stuff. And it, I always say it it brings its challenges and, and you know, there's pros and cons to it. But ultimately, um, you know, I see it as a, as a huge, as a huge benefit, um, you know, for different ways. I think, you know, there's, there's parts of it that people would think it's plain sailing and it's easy. But as we all know, working with family and, and sort of and stuff like that brings its challenges in the sense of you know there's there's a respect there that you know my dad's earned a lot of respect in the game and he's he's achieved a lot more than I have in the game so um, as a head coach alone let alone he's he's my dad you know he deserves that that respect from a player and and that um, that credit almost and and you know he's coached some phenomenal players and taken some players to the very top of their game so I think as a son of of you know of his you can forget that sometimes and you just view it as your dad and your old man and you, and you sometimes just wanted to tell him to do one in a polite term uh, when he's on your case but I think you know as as I've matured I guess and and stuff and we've we've worked worked through it you know it's it's been pretty pretty easy going because I know I give him a lot of credit for that you know his professionalism as you know those who know him as a as a, as a guy he he sort of drove that forward that you know, as we cross the Trembridge gates and we go into work, you know, it's player and coach, it's not father, son. And it took a bit of, you know, um, adjusting to, and it's never going to be exact science in that way. You, obviously, you're always going to be uh, a different relationship because ultimately, you know, we are, um, you know, son and dad and father and son. So it's always going to be slightly different. But the way I view it is a as a player is, you know, I, I feel really lucky that you know, he, I always say to anybody, he, he knows my game better than I know my own game. So, <laughs> um, you know, to have that in a coach is, you know, invaluable. And um, I feel really lucky, obviously for him, you know, I think, you know, there's, there's places, there's no hiding. That's for sure. He's, you know, I can come into the ground and 
he will know exactly how I'm feeling. If I'm moody, if I'm a bit tired, if I've stayed up too late playing PlayStation, he'll know straight away from, from the word go. So there's no, there's no hiding under the radar there, but yeah, ultimately it's, uh, it's, it's worked really well. And uh, like I always say to people, he's, he will be and has been and will remain, you know, my biggest mentor in the game and um, help me achieve what I've achieved, you know, up till now. And hopefully, you know, continue through and, and get as far in the game as I can. A very, very honest assessment there, Tom. Thanks very much for that. Now, uh, moving on towards the end of the, the podcast, it's uh, something we've uh, sort of introduced in, in recent times when we are lucky to be joined by uh, sort of professional cricketers, it's uh, it's our ask the pro segment, and uh, as I said, it's uh, it's a few questions we've we've thrown together, not allowing you to prepare any of the answers, of course. So, uh, Tom, we're going to give you a go on the ask the pro. Looking forward to it. So, nickname: Morsey. Left or right-handed? Left-handed. Bat or bowl? Bat. <laughs> now. I must interrupt myself here. I almost didn't ask you this question because, of course, you are a wicketkeeper. But, uh, you know, we, we had a, a fellow wicketkeeper on the podcast not so many episodes ago, and, and he uh, gave a great line about, uh, of course, behind every wicketkeeper, there is a frustrated leg spinner. So I thought I'd give you the opportunity <laughs> to say bowl. But are you a, a frustrated leg spinner? Oh, 100%. You only have to ask Steve, Steve Mullaney or Ben Duckett for that every Every opportunity that there might be a, a slight chance that I can find my inner inner bowler in me, and I, I'm there pleading <laughs> pleading to bowl, um, and I just haven't had the nod yet. But it's my day will come. I think there will come a day where I can I can turn the arm over. I think I could be quite handy actually. But we just I just no one's shown any faith in me as as of yet, so I'm not quite sure why. I feel duty bound to say, Tom, that that just sounds absolutely horrendous. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, in in the same vein, let's uh, imagine for this next question that you're not keeping. Favourite fielding position? Backward point. Test or T20? Stuff question. <laughs> Test. Fastest bowler you faced? James Patterson. Biggest hitter? Andre Russell. Biggest talker on the pitch? Myself. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> Messiest in the dressing room? Myself. <laughs> I'm horrendous. First thing on your plate at teas? Chicken. <laughs> that is exactly what Jordan Clark said. <laughs> Just said a big plate of chicken. Chicken. Yeah, exactly. Oh, very good. Proudest achievement on a cricket pitch? Winning finals day in 2017. Superpower of choice? To fly. Where in the world would you like to live? Australia. DMR or Kilo? DMR all the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's the last over a game. Which member of the Moores family are you asking to bowl to take the 10th wicket? The one and only, Tony Moores. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, we might have telegraphed that last question there. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, coming out of the Ask the Pro segment, good sport as ever. I just wanted to ask you about plans for the coming season, really. Yeah, so uh, obviously got the the T10 coming up, which is in the immediate future. So that's my main focus at the moment. And then um, returning from that, it'll just be building up for the, you know, we've got a big block of uh, four-day cricket, 10 games, I think it is. So working hard, trying to get my game in order for that to, and, and you know, build as a squad, gel as a squad again. and. Yeah, get you know, sort of hit the ground running there. We've we're in the tent 
um, which is obviously a great facility at Trent Bridge um, to work on English conditions and stuff like that. So work really hard in there. And then as you go forward, obviously through the season, there's a lot, lot of action packed, you know, hopefully, you know, all being well in, in the world we live in at the minute, you know, uh, the 100 ball um, and the T20 blast. So a lot of exciting cricket to come to come and hopefully we'll be, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see where, where things take us with that. But, you know, really looking forward to, to getting stuck into all of that and, and hopefully doing well for knots and Trent Rockets and seeing where the game goes. Fantastic. Tom, I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, any closing remarks before we wrap up the podcast? Thank you. No, just thank you very much for having me. Obviously, it's a close connection with the family. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a pleasure to be to be on this today. So, yeah, cheers for that. Oh, you're very welcome indeed. And as I say, thanks for taking the time to come and speak to us and uh, talk about all things cricket. Tom, we'll speak soon. Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much.